Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Self-Love Club, where boss women share their stories to empower others. Welcome to the Self-Love Club podcast. I'm your host, Belle Crawford. Hello, hello. Welcome to a new episode of the Self Love Club. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you are new, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us. There is a backlog of interviews with some incredible women for you to catch up on. We rely heavily on your support and there are some easy ways you can do that. Make sure that you're subscribed to the Self Love Club on whatever podcast app you like listening on. We're on all of them. Also, you can follow us at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram. You get daily self-care, self-love notes, IGTV, clips of interviews, inside scoops, heaps of goodness. And it's really cool to see where you're listening. Keep tagging us in your stories. Another way, if you're really enjoying it, is telling a friend about it. Sharing with your pals is super helpful. And we do thank you for all of your support. Right, let's get into this week's episode. This episode is a very special one. In 2018, Georgia Harris and her family lost their incredible dad to suicide. Since then, Georgia has become a mental health advocate, speaking up about grief, trauma and suicide loss, as well as chasing her dreams of becoming part of the police as a police communicator. A disclaimer, this episode discusses mental health and suicide, not in graphic detail, but it may be distressing for some listeners. I've taken extreme care in producing this conversation, and if you or someone you know needs help, you can find a list of services in the show notes. In New Zealand, you can free text and call 1737. Georgie, welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. Really stoked we can get you on um, and share your story because I know people are going to get a lot out of this episode. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'm really excited yeah, to have a chat with you. Yeah. So tell us about yourself and what you're doing at the moment. So I uh, share my story of grief and trauma on social media. So that's kind of how my year has played out. Um, I lost my dad to suicide in October 2018. And since then, I have been sharing the ups and downs of what I've been through. Yeah, on Instagram and Facebook. Mm. We'll go through all of that in your story soon. Take us back to your childhood. What was little Georgie like? You grew up in West Auckland, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was really lucky. Um, I had two parents who worked really hard to kind of give us the best of what they could. So we were the family um, who went on heaps of adventures and we grew up on a lifestyle block. So mum and dad, you know, they owned a kindergarten and then they sold it because mum was an early childhood teacher and they kind of put all you know the money aside and gave us like a really amazing property to grow up on and we're so thankful like my sister and I had horses growing up and you know my brother was just kind of alongside us playing around um as we went and then yeah we would go on camping trips all the time like every summer you know boxing day morning we'd Mm. be in the car and dad would pack us up and then we'd be (laughs) off classic dad's yeah so it was amazing we'd just go to Coromandel and Fongmatar and have the best time as a family. It was so awesome to have those memories. And yeah, we're all so thankful that they worked hard for that um, to give us that, you know, growing up or childhood. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it sounds amazing. Um, And living the Kiwi dream. Yeah. 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 So did you know what you wanted to do growing up? Like, were you, what were your interests? What were you into? It's kind of interesting you ask that because I've always been interested in police and police work so I was in year seven when I knew I kind of wanted to go for frontline one day that was my end goal and life just took a turn you know it kind of goes different pathways as you grow up so I actually um, ended up going to travel and tourism after I left school so I was doing that for about six years so I went over to America and I worked at Disney World for six wow, months in Florida. So yeah, it was such an awesome experience because high school wasn't the best for me. You know, I yeah. had like a lot of anxiety going through high school and high school's not easy for everyone. You no, know? I and think a lot of us 
while we like had a good time. It was a really hard time, yeah. I think. Yeah, like with bullying and different mm. things like that and just working out who you are. Yeah, that's the thing, like understanding who you want to become and who you're meant to be like in your own skin and feel comfortable doing what you want and, um, and think, owning that. Yeah, and doing, I think uh, the more I've thought about it, it's like you're trying to learn, it's life really, you're trying to, learn and you're going through huge changes and like you're learning yeah. that, but you're doing that and in like an audience in front of others who then like might tease you or like it's a really hard environment to yeah, be in at times yeah. right because for me I was really nervous about not having friends and I know that seems really silly but no, I also doesn't. was so nervous about you know making the right friends at school I didn't want to get in trouble I wasn't the kid who tried to you know, make trouble or get in detention or anything. Like I was always so scared of getting in detention or getting told off from a teacher. So I was also quite reserved. So it was quite hard for me to make friends, but I did have a few really good friends here and there. And then, yeah, I ended up leaving when I was 16. So quite young, Um, but mum and dad supported that decision. And I was working at Cotton On at the time. Yeah. So I was working on Queen Street. I was just a Christmas casual there and I ended up getting a job full time. So I stayed for three years. And then during that, I was studying travel and tourism. And that's where I got the opportunity to apply to go work at Disney World. What were you doing there? Like, did you get to dress up as one of the people? No, everyone asks that. Because I've, seen, so, I've yeah. seen people doing that and I'm like, what, you got to be Minnie Mouse? What the heck? Like, what? I wish. Um, it would have been so hot though. Um, but no, I was doing merchandise. So just working, um, you know, in the stores at the parks and then at resorts, which was... Still would have been such an so interesting environment. Fun. Like yeah. all the people you'd have been seeing and like just, yeah. I mean everyone knows about Disneyland and grows up wanting Mm. to go there. It's the dream, you know, so you were working there. It was such an incredible experience. And my favorite memory from that, I think was I literally put on this massive blow up Mickey hand and I was standing out the front of, you know, Walt Disney world and the castles behind me and the parks opened up early one morning and we had all of the kids who had terminal illnesses come through and it was the families and all of their caregivers and the nurses and the doctors. And we're just waving at these kids and they're just, seeing their faces light up you just realize how lucky you are to be in that position to give them such an amazing experience so I was so grateful to be able to go over there at such a young age I was 19 when I did that and yeah it was amazing do you think going overseas really young did that really help you and like sort of grow you a bit yeah definitely because you work out where you kind of want to go I guess in life and who you are what makes you comfortable what makes you uncomfortable in social situations because you're not around your usual group of people you know I was living with people from Australia and I was working with people from all over the world so understanding that there are different cultures and ways that people have grown up makes you realize just how massive but small the world is also Mm. and how many connections you can make with some pretty incredible people yeah yeah. It was awesome. And so what then did you do when you came home? I got a job pretty quickly. So I was working at Qantas. So I was just doing some customer care work there, which I loved. Hmm. And then I actually went on to be a travel agent. So I was a travel agent at STA. So cool. for a while, which I loved. Yeah. And I met one of my really good friends there, Emma. She was just such a rock through everything that I was kind of going through while coming back home and mm. kind of still figuring out what I really wanted to do because travel was a career that I thought I would stay in for a long time. I think I was quite scared to pursue the dream of still going into frontline, Mm. if that makes sense. So I guess I doubted myself a lot because dad was quite unwell over the years. So seeing him being unwell um, and kind of putting your self-worth on the back burner um, while he was going through something, you know, so terrible with depression and Mm. seeing mum support him through the years kind of put its toll on me as well. And yeah, I just was comfortable in my career. I wasn't going for any opportunities that would make me grow massively. Talk us through that because I think that's something that people can relate with or maybe they don't even really think about. Like, Obviously, mental health in a family affects obviously the person and everyone else around them. It's so hard. Yeah. Talk me through the process of like not actually then wanting to put yourself forward and, and mm-hmm. not believing in yourself. What do you think caused that? I think, I mean, I guess it started early on in high school when there's a lot of stigma around mental illness. And, you know, we hear of people going through mental illness from our peers, but we don't ever hear about oh if you have a parent with a mental illness this is how you can get support Mm. so there really wasn't any avenue for me to feel comfortable enough talking to someone like I had the school therapist who was amazing Mm. and I did go to her quite often but other than that it was really hard for me to understand what dad was going through because mum was absolutely incredible she stood by him for 
so many years through what he was going through. Um, they would have been married for 25 years this year. Aww. So she was just his absolute rock and champion. So to see her stand by him through everything was it was overwhelming at times because you still didn't understand what he was going through and why it was causing him to be so up and down with his moods and how we could help his kids. We did try to, I guess, steer clear of a lot that was going on because we didn't understand. So talk us through that. When did you sort of first real or notice that maybe he had some health problems going on? I mean, I didn't notice it until probably a bit later on in high school. Mm. So it would have been only probably a year or so before I I left high school that we found out how unwell he had been. Mm. And it just kind of all made sense a little bit after mum. I think she felt that I was old enough to get an understanding of, you know, mental illness and what that means for him as a parent and how much he struggled with that and being able to tell us and having an open conversation with us as kids. So we actually were thrown into a bit of, uh, upsetting situation when he did try and take his life. So that was in 2015 and that was when we kind of all sat down as a family and he was in hospital at the time and, you know, he said, I've been through a lot and I've been really unwell and, you know, he did his best to get better and he had doctors who were around him and they were there that night and it was, that was kind of like a wake-up call for us to mm. understand that he was going through a lot. What did that, I mean, it's very personal what does it look like when you've got someone in your family? Maybe people are listening, they don't, they haven't had this. What does it look like? What are they going through? So for us, dad was a really hard worker and you wouldn't tell that he was struggling and no one understood, you know, just how much of he or what he was going through. So for us, you know, he worked from home. So he was outside all the time. He always kept really active, but mum actually picked up on a lot more signs than we did because Mm. he hid it really well from us. So it was Mm. really, really hard for us to pick up. Mm. He was protecting you guys. Yeah. Of when he was having bad days and good days. And when I look back, I wish that I had asked more questions um, from mum to understand. Maybe it would have lessened my anxiety a bit more about, you know, going to school the next day after dad had been taken into care Mm. overnight or we had gotten some help from the mental health team because of what he had been going through and mum had called them so as a kid it's hard you know your parents want to protect you and it is hard to see the signs and we didn't see those until we were older which was him you know not sleeping a lot but you'd come home and he would kind of be just not as active as as he Mm. would be he would go on a lot more walks um with the dogs which isn't necessarily a bad thing but it kind of was seen as a sense of isolation mm. from him. Yeah. yeah. Talk us through, and I know I know you've shared your story and you've been so brave, and I know this will be really, really hard. So if you want to share, that's cool. If you don't as well. But talk us through the time when he did take his life. So I, it, I remember it really well that day up until we did find out that he had passed away. So it was such a beautiful day. Like I was working and I had – the best work colleagues. I was in a really supportive job and it actually was the end of Mental Health Awareness Week. So everyone had been obviously posting on social media, like if you need help, reach out, all of this. And Mm. I was involved in that as well. So I was posting about it and dad saw my posts, but that's why I always say, you know, reach out to people instead of just doing it over social media. It's really important to form connections because I was posting about that online, but dad took his life on the Monday Um, So the week after, and he never, you know, we never had that conversation the week before, even though it was Mental Health Awareness Week, and it was never said that he was that low. So we had amazing family dinner on the Sunday night, and his best friend came over, and that's what we did as a family. We just had family dinners on Sunday nights, and it was really nice. And Sam and I were going to go to the movies, and Dad told us to... So Sam's your boyfriend? Yeah, Yeah. so Sam's my partner, um, and we were going to go out to the movies and, you know, kind of have a dinner date, and Dad said, no, just stay home. And that day he asked me to make a chocolate cake and he loves my chocolate cake that I make. So I said, oh no, I'll make a lemon meringue pie instead. And I look back and now I'm so gutted because I don't know whether that was a sign of him saying goodbye. And that's really hard to think about. And I don't like to think about it too much, but yeah. Yeah. And then, so on the Monday went to work as normal and one of my friends said, Hey, I know you, you had a really big week last week being mental health awareness week. Do you want to come out for a walk at lunchtime? And I was like, yeah, sure. And we, so we sat in the sunshine and we had a really good talk and she said, how's your mom and how's your dad doing? And I said, Oh, you know, he's really good. I think and mum's doing really well. You know, she's working really hard and she loves her job. And I knew that mum was, 
you know, going for a new job. So things were quite busy in the household and Claudia, you know, was in her second to last year of high school. And so we just chatted about family and things like that. And then, so I left work at three. Um, so 3 p.m., bet the traffic and went home and I was the first one home. So when I got home, you see, usually see dad outside. He's usually working on the property or with the animals and both gates were locked. So it's like, oh, okay, I went inside and then, you know. Are they usually open? Yeah, gates usually open if he's home, not locked. Um, Milo and Ringo, our dogs, were around the front of the house and if dad's outside, Ringo might be out there with him and Milo might be out there as well. And then I went inside and by this time it was, you know, closer to four and his diary phone and things were neatly stacked on the bench. And I kind of thought about, I thought, oh, that's a bit, you know, strange. And I just, me being me, I'd had a long day at work, didn't think anything of it again, just went and sat on the couch. So I sat on the couch for about half an hour and, you know, mum came home and she said, oh, where's dad? I said, I don't know. Sorry, I haven't seen him. Didn't think at all. And I was house sitting at the time for a family friend. So I'd just come home to kind of chill out, you know, see the family. And then I was going to pick up my things and then go and walk the dog. So I went to the place I was house sitting at, which was five minutes away, went and walked the dog. And I came home at seven and dad still wasn't home. So it had been a couple of a good couple of hours. Mm mum was looking and getting a bit worried so I think from the time I came home and saw those things neatly stacked on the bench the gates locked and not hearing from him just kind of gave me a little bit of an adrenaline rush from that moment so I already had a lot of adrenaline going through my body thinking you know it's a bit you know dad hasn't you know gone missing for was the car still there Car was still there, mm. yep, so all cars were still there and we thought that he had gone out with his friend, his best mate. Mum contacted him and he said, no, haven't heard from him. And so I went back inside because Claudia said, oh, you know, we don't know where dad is. I went back inside and, you know, we have a decent sized lifestyle block. So he had been down the back doing some work, you know, in the recent weeks. And as soon as I put my phone down, I just heard what I heard and it was the rush of adrenaline is not a feeling that I ever want to feel ever because it felt like someone instantly poured boiling hot water over me and I just dropped my phone, ran to the home phone and called emergency services. So mum and Claudia are outside all the way down the back of the property and I was inside by myself and from there it was touch and go really really quickly so I called through to the man who obviously took my 111 call and our neighbour who was absolutely incredible we have been really good friends with them for years we grew up with their kids and she came running over really fast and she just provided you know just a sense of um, support in that time and everything moves yeah really really quickly so yeah um, I instantly felt like I was going to be sick. Um, I couldn't breathe properly. And looking back, I can't remember much of when, what went on after that call was made. So getting that call recording gave me an understanding of what did go on. Mm. So I called Sam and he came straight over. So it took him, you know, only 20, 25 minutes to get to the property. But by that point we had you know, the, the local police and ambulance and fire. And there were a lot of them, like a lot of emergency workers. Mm. And the hard thing about dad's passing was that everyone knew us in the community. We're a really small community and everyone does know everyone. So the news traveled really, really fast mm. and people like to talk on social media. So it was spread like a wildfire basically. And yeah, so we had officers, police officers who came who had known dad for years and they turned up and it was really hard for them. Mm. And then we had two of my friends who I went to school with who were the fire brigade workers who came and, you know, one of them was best friends with our Nana and Papa who he had grown up with and everyone was just connected and it made it a lot more emotionally, you know, um, I guess fueled for attending a scene like that, especially, yeah, when you know the people personally and all credit to them because they were absolutely amazing. Mm. Um, Don't they do an incredible job? They were. so lucky. I can't, you know, credit them enough, like what they do, because they are walking into a situation where you don't know, you know, what's going to happen with Mm. the family members, how they're going to react, and they did everything 
perfectly. Yeah. And my in dad's in the, my dad's not now in the New Zealand police, but he was for like nearly twenty years. And I just have so much respect for what those pe- men and women do for our country. Mm. I know they get a lot of hard like people, you know, give them a hard time. But yeah, they, absolutely. They literally walk into scenes that are just like we would never think mm. about. Yeah. yeah. So we're not going to go into details about these things. You've explained it enough to us, but did your mum and sister find him? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that sat on my heart for a really long time. And that was actually probably the worst thing I had to get over because I, that was hard for me to, mm. to understand that they had, you know, seen what they saw and the trauma that affected them was hard for me to watch as well. Because not only are you dealing with your own trauma, you're also coming home on a daily basis and your your whole family is dealing with different types of grief on mm. each different day. So I always explain it like an earthquake Richter scale, like you'll come home and I might be a one and Claudia's a 10 or mum's a five and you yeah. all have to kind of, yeah, you have to learn to mesh together. Yeah, well that, that trauma is going to affect you. You girls are all doing so amazingly. Your whole family is. But it's like in that situation, it must be like that's with you forever, mm. you know. And while you are doing your best, that sometimes it's going to affect you on a, you know, some days you know it's not going to be feeling very good because you've, you know, you've seen that and that's incredibly traumatic. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, because mum had a heart attack the night he passed away. So she was taken to hospital pretty quickly and we were really lucky. We've got our nana and papa who live down the road and aunties and uncles are very close. You know, we're not a very widely spread family around the country or the world for that matter. So we had a lot of support who turned up quite quickly on mm. the night. And nana stayed with us for that, you know, first week. Um, and Campbell, Claudia and I, we didn't know what to do with ourselves. So we just kept ourselves so busy. And unlike a lot of families who go through a situation like this, we didn't just have ourselves to look after. We had a whole range of animals that were waiting for yeah. us outside. That your dad usually did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, my sister was incredible. Um, she deserves absolutely everything in the world that's good, you know, to come because she has been such a rock for mum and I because we'll come home and she would have done all the animals. You know, she does all the horses. She's out there all the time. Yeah, she's just a daddy's yeah. girl, 100%, and she's amazing. And she's so young and she's just taken it in her stride and she's she's done such a good job with everything. Talk us through the first 24, 48 hours, you know, the immediate future after that. I know I've heard you speak about you didn't sleep for three weeks afterwards. No, like it was to the point where you, and it sounds really bad, but you hallucinate. I was really fearful because Sam was just such a pillar of support. So it really affects you physically as well. So I felt like someone had burnt my throat. Mm. It was really, really painful. And so I really struggled to sleep. Yeah, you get a lot of like noise trauma as well and PTSD. So I was hearing a lot of things. Everyone tried to help the best way that they could and we had so many meals that were brought over. But the first 24 hours, it goes so fast. Even the first month flies by. Like Mm. you look back and it's like, how has it been a month already? But because you've got so much support and it's such a traumatic day, you kind of just go with whatever comes you're running on a you can't stop yeah. it like mm. you just have to yeah go with it mm. and the next day we yeah mum was mum was in hospital so she she was in there for a week and I yeah I just have to thank as well like the staff at the mom. hospital because she, they were amazing and her workmates as well who just sat by her every night while she was there and we were separated from her and she was all oh by herself without us so the day that we visited her we just sat down as a family in the room and you know Sam sat outside and mum said oh this is going to get me emotional but okay she said like we've got time like to say goodbye to him mm-hmm. and I think like a lot of families feel that you have to do a funeral rush you know like you yeah. have to get um a funeral sorted and mm. everything else in between but she said we've got time everyone will wait for us mm. she said this is massive that what's happened and we did have time and yeah. that was the best thing that she could have ever said and we just like gave each other a hug to yeah. have that happen and then your mum have a heart attack and then her be in hospital all separated yeah like you don't have your dad at home I you know. don't have your mum at home for that time while she was in yeah. hospital that's like cool girl yeah it was um really full on but 
you know, everyone just stepped up. Like we had friends who would come and feed the animals and Nana clean the house and, you know, people came over and did the washing. And that's one thing I tell people is if you want to support someone through their grief, don't be afraid to make noise. And I say that in the sense that, you know, tell them that you have time on Saturday morning and Mm. you can come over and if you put the washing out, I'll come and do it. Just leave the door open or whatever. You don't have to get up for me or just leave the vacuum out. You can stay in bed and if that's okay, or I'll take the kids out just put their clothes out and we can Mm. sort, you know, anything it is because we did get told, and I know that people find it hard to know what to say, but we did get told a lot, call us if you need us. And we hated using our phones. I tried to avoid all messages. You're trying to just keep living and doing, you know, getting on through the minutes, days. And the funeral, was that like, that would have been an incredibly hard day for you? Yeah, it was. We, I think we did it in a really good way in a way that dad would have wanted so mum said you know he wouldn't have wanted a funeral in a, a typical funeral a home lot of, so lot of typical kiwi dads yeah, you know, don't, yeah. want any, don't want any fuss <laughs> yeah you know? exactly so we had a private kind of ceremony for him so we brought him home for a couple of days and that was really lovely because he got to come home we you know set up the room and put 300 pictures on the wall sam Aww. and i pinned them up overnight and took us hours but it was so nice because we had you know limited visitors friends and family who really knew him for years and they got to sit in there with him and spend time and when we were choosing a casket uh, I did mention that it would be nice to paint one and have everyone sign their messages and it was so amazing because we got to sit as siblings on the deck while mum was downstairs with people visiting dad and we just got to paint for two mm. days and that's all we did and it gave us time to be together without any really distractions and people just saw us do that and they left us alone which was that's quite good. nice Therape- it's yeah. very therapeutic for you yeah. yeah and to do that together I know you've talked about before and I think a lot of people maybe who have been in a similar situation to you will understand and it, not even with suicide but when someone in a family dies or something happens you know it's the afterwards like maybe a month on when People don't yeah. message you every day and, you know, the support. People are still there for you, of course, but life moves on. Mm. Is that when it gets really hard? Yeah, 100%. Because in that first kind of, I guess, however long it is before the funeral, there's a lot of, like, working up to that day. You know, that's kind of the day where you essentially say goodbye with everyone who's around you and who loved that person. So I think people have the perception that after that, it's kind of the time to not I guess move on is probably not the right right word but people move away from Mm. the supportive side of things and we were really lucky like we had an an amazing group of people who still showed up you know weekly and monthly in the months after he passed away the support does drop off a lot Mm. and then you have the pressure to go back to work and you don't know how you're going to react like get back to life and it's like not your old normal it must be a new normal yeah and going back to work was really hard even though I had such supportive colleagues it was you know I'd be sitting at a desk during the day and you'd be thinking about all the things that you could have done differently and then what's going on at home currently so I was working out of a cafe and my boss and work colleague came and they said, you're not coping and we can see that. So we'll give you two months off. And they did. And so I had two months to, yeah. And that was just the best thing ever for them to say that. What were some of the ways and everyone's story with grief is so different, but I think like what were some of the ways or things that helped your grief the most? My main thing is Instagram. You know, I think there's a lot of like negative rap that comes about Instagram and social media these days, but I'm so thankful for it. And I will praise it from the rooftops because I must have been a few days after dad passed away. I Googled people who had parents who passed away from suicide and I was only finding blog posts from psychiatrists or psychologists. And I didn't want, um, I guess, a fancy written article about it I wanted someone's raw and honest opinion about what they went through and I really struggled to find that so that's why I started posting on Instagram on a daily basis of my pathway of grief and then yeah from there I guess people just started messaging me and we started making great connections online and the amount of people that I've met through there is just something that I'm yeah I'm really thankful for. So then talk us through 
you then, since that happened, it's become a huge part of your purpose now and you have, through your experiences, become a mental health advocate. So talk us through what you're doing in that work. Yeah, I just talk about grief and trauma and I try and break down the stigma of what we believe grief is. And I think that's really important because, yeah, we can read a lot of blog posts about it, but then to see someone on social media sharing what it's like for them, um, you can understand that it is different for everyone. And also I think to the point where I am now and the job that I have has made a lot of people realise that even though you've gone through such a significant life change, you can still be successful and you can still chase your dreams and your goals and it doesn't mean that it puts an end to anything It doesn't that you mean your had, life is over. Yeah, wanted to do. Mm. So that's something, yeah, I'm thankful that I got to share because I thought that was a really important thing to get out there, especially for young people who are in high school when they feel as though they might have been through something, you know, significant in their life that, yeah, makes them feel as though they're not worthy enough. Um, yeah. But you should never doubt, self-doubt. And I know we do that all the time, but... Oh, of course. You can chase whatever dream you want and just go for go for gold. Yeah. Do you ever, and I, I feel like you're very good at doing it, but I think sometimes with sharing vulnerability, it can be really hard. And you, mm. you know, like I often share things, but sometimes we all feel like, oh, don't want to seem like self-indulgent posting this. Like, but then the, the reason we're posting is to help other people. And it's like, I still battle with it at times. Like, even though I Me too. do share things, I'm like, oh, do I seem like I'm being really, that's why I try to always turn it around and make it about other people. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't want everyone to think, because it's not about that. It's just that it's a way, I think, and, you know, Brene Brown, if you've followed her oh, work. she's amazing. Isn't she amazing? I love her. Read her books. Watch her Netflix if you haven't, guys. Yeah. Um, but she talks about how vulnerability is, like, how we connect and push through with people. I think Absolutely, yeah. through life we're constantly... I know for a lot of us, we're like all of us, we're constantly trying to show how strong we are and like we're trying to not show our vulnerabilities and look how great we're doing and <laughs> yeah. oh my God, I can do these things. But at the end of the day, it's the vulnerability and the, the real stuff and the emotion that's actually what connects human beings the most. Yeah. 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 Do you ever have those days where you're like, you know, because especially you are sharing things like, you know, grief and, and especially in, in relation to your experience. Do you ever have days where you're like, oh, I don't know if I should post this or... Yeah, and I always talk about it with Sam. Like, I always voice what I'm feeling, and I think that's one thing that's helped me a lot because he just turns around and he says, you know, look how many people you've helped already mm. and why did you start doing this in the first place? And I do get negative messages. I've had a lot uh, that have come through to Instagram saying that I'm using it to gain attention, and that really... And it hurts. You know, people say they ignore the... The bullies online but it does hurt like it's of course the worst it thing ever to see. yeah to wake up and see that someone's saying that to you and I have spoken about it probably once or twice and I just said to Sam I don't want to talk about it again I don't want to bring negativity into my space at all and that's not what I'm here for I'm not mm. here to share people's negative opinions no one needs to see that we I know that there's bad online bullies I think it's a really it's a very um, complex topic I would love to dissect that a bit more at some point but I think that the way we live now through social media, it's a hard one because that's how we're living and we're sharing, but it's a fine line. And I think a lot of the time people do share things because they want to get attention and, you know, they're yeah. using things because they want to build an Instagram following so they uh -huh. can make money selling teeth whitening kits. I'm just using that as a lull example because <laughs> there is that. Yeah. There, there definitely is yeah, that. Yeah, I definitely agree with I you. I mean, there are a lot of influencers that do. Like, There's people that were posting selfies during the Australian bushfires and making it all about themselves. And I'm like, like, mate, like, it's cool that you care, but I think it's a hard one because even with me, like, I want to share a message and I'm like, how can I share a message on Instagram when I don't have a photo, like, you don't always have a photo to match it. I know, yeah, that's So I don't yeah. want to post, like, a, a photo of me, like, oh, my God, here's a selfie, because it feels like I'm being narcissistic. Yeah. But it's like, but I really want to share this with my audience. Do I post a photo of a sunset? Like, is that, is that a bit more wholesome? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you do, yeah, you do think about it and it does come up a lot, you know, as you go through and post about things but it's a whole cultural thing like yeah. I think we're all learning and that's the yeah. thing with Instagram it's a very fine it's a fine line between because Instagram and social media is look at me look what I'm doing yeah. and you're not it's very much like my life is amazing and uh -huh. and even though like maybe I'm having a really shit time I'm smiling and making everyone think everything's great right now I am yeah I don't know I, I battle with that a bit because I love it and I think it's great but then I don't want to I, I just think it's sad for humankind that we're you know, even if you're having a shit day, people are putting themselves out on the stage. They'll be like, oh, my God, everything's great. But they might actually be having the most shit time. Yeah, But definitely. because that's what the culture is to do. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying everyone's doing that. But at times I feel like 
even now on social media, instead of just posting a normal photo, everyone's we're all posing and like people yeah. don't. It is, real life doesn't look like that. No, I think we're starting. The social norm is we're not seeing real life anymore, and that mm. that alarms me. It does, yeah. And I think that posting about my grief has helped a lot with that because people have seen me, you know, cry with a snotty nose. They've seen me go up and down, have bad days, you know, puffy eyes from crying, and I've posted pictures of that. And then I look back, I'm like, I really don't mind about what looks aesthetically pleasing on my Instagram. It's not about that. It's about sharing a message that will hopefully make someone else feel like they're not alone. And that's my goal. It was never to get, um, you know, followers. And that's amazing. Like a following is, you know, something that gives you, you know, a platform to speak up. People like you, Georgie, and people who are trying to do good on social media, the thing with having more of a following is epic because that means for me, I'm always like, if I can share with people, that's all I want it yeah. for. I don't want this for me. I don't care about that. Like mm. I could have a hundred. I don't give a shit. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's, I think a lot of, I say this a lot in life. Real is rare. There's a lot of fake people out there mm. and real people. That's really important. And so people no. appreciate it. Like people appreciate yeah. the vulnerability on Instagram. So yeah, know? if you can share your message with more people, it's not like we're like furiously trying to get more followers. Like, yeah. oh my God, but it's like, if you can, then hey, isn't that what it's all about? It's share, isn't, that's your purpose. You're trying to share with more people mm. and help as many people as you can with your, their grief. Yeah. I know that obviously it's, it's my Instagram, it's my platform, but I try and open up the conversation a lot through my story. So I'll always put up question boxes of people's advice and I'll always try and share it because I want people to understand there is such a massive community out there of people who want to help Mm. and getting advice from, I've got like mums and dads and, you know, daughters and aunties and uncles and everyone in between on my Instagram. So to be able to open up conversations is yeah, something that I'm really grateful for because a lot of, I didn't have social media like this when I was in high school Mm. and to be able to follow someone who maybe talks about things that you're quite scared of being vulnerable about makes such a massive difference. Take us through your work because, you know, when you started doing this, I was working in travel and tourism, obviously. So I was an accounts manager. And then after dad passed away, I didn't have the same, I guess, passion for what I was doing. And I was really struggling going in on a daily basis and being motivated to do my job. Mm. And one day I just sat down and I said to Sam, you know, I think I want to resign. And we had booked a trip to Europe in June. So six or seven months after he passed. So yeah, we sat and chatted and he said, look, if it makes you feel better and it lessens your anxiety about going into work on a daily basis, then do what you need to do. And yeah, I resigned and everyone was so supportive of that decision. Like I said, I'd always thought about joining the police or doing that as a career, but I never had the drive to do it. And my drive was the man who took my emergency call the day dad passed away and I got that call probably about two months after he passed away and I listened to it back at the time I couldn't remember if I spoke to a man or woman I didn't know I thought that I was on the phone for you know 20 seconds and I just said what I needed to say gave Mm. them my address and hung up but it was a 12 minute phone call wow and the oh yeah the man on the phone he just made me feel bubble wrapped in a time that was really traumatizing and scary and he just kept talking to me and it just gave me an understanding of how much good you can do mm. from a career that is really rewarding and gives back to communities. And that's kind of all I've ever really wanted is, you know, to give back as much as I can. So when did it become your goal then? Because you now are doing that. Like, yeah. Tell us through your current role, which you're now doing. Yeah. So I um, applied for it after I came back from Europe. So I had a couple months to think about it and I was going for another position actually that was in a completely different career option. Yeah. And again, I was still scared of kind of applying for police. I still had self-doubt and Sam just said, go for it. Just do it. What have you got to yeah, lose? Exactly. You know? you everything know? of the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was worried that because dad's death was so quite recent. Mm. So I thought that they would turn me away because of that. And they did have a lot of questions. You know, yeah. the process is quite lengthy and I had a lot of thick skin going through that because I knew that my end goal was to do good and be um, and especially you know, if in the role. I think it's smart that you didn't do it too soon because, you know, imagine if you were in a situation where you were taking a call. I'm, I'm sure there's huge training before you get put onto calls, yeah. but it could have been quite raw for you and too soon, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And we spoke about that. Well, I spoke about that with recruitment and they were really supportive and we talked about it over and over again, you know, the scenarios that might come up and how comfortable I was with that. Mm. And yeah, so I started at the New Zealand police one day before the one year anniversary of dad's passing. Wow. So that was 
really overwhelming for me. Timing, hey. Yeah, timing. And so those first couple of days, I was very emotional and I didn't really say anything. And then on the second day of training, you know, we all sat down as a training group and I bought in a cake and then my trainer said, do you want to just mention to everyone kind of what's going on and would you like to share or I can share so I stood up and I hadn't really cried in front of anyone about dad's passing and I bawled my eyes out and I just said that's dad's one year anniversary of his passing and this is a career I've always wanted to do and I'm so grateful I get to you know be able to give back and you know start this yeah incredible journey with the police and I'm so grateful and they were really supportive and the trainer turned around and she said I think I know who took your call do you want me to try and get in touch with him and see if you can have a meeting. And I, that wasn't even something I thought about, you know, meeting him wasn't really, I didn't even think he was in Auckland or in the same call center. He could have been an alien. Yeah. He could could have been anywhere in the country. So uh, yeah, like a week later, I got taken into a meeting room and then Peter was there. So it was so nice to be able to. What was it like to meet Peter? That must've been a surreal experience for both of you. Yeah. You know, anyone who really took my, would have taken my call would have been great, but Mm. he was he was incredible. You guys have a special bond for yeah. life now, don't you? We're just, yeah. You must have that unspoken thing. Which I know. Like, we walk yeah. past each other. I'm like, hi, Peter. He's just yeah. so he's so cool. And, yeah, we work on such an amazing team. And, yeah, I'm on the same team as him at work, which just is such a fluke. I yeah, yeah. didn't even think that would happen. So you went through a bit of it. Obviously, you do a train. Like, what's that process like? Yeah, so you do quite intensive training, and the trainers are amazing. So they do. They put you in situations where you'll be comfortable for what's to come and – it's such a supportive environment. So for anyone who's thinking of going for a career option and they've been self-doubting, just go for it because it's the best thing I've ever done. And I'm so, yeah, I'm so happy. Yeah. I go to work. I'm so excited to go to Yay. work every day. Like I can't wait to go into work this evening. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's an awesome job. Yeah. I think that's such good advice, Georgie, is that, you know, you, I think we feel like we have to have everything sorted out and I can't do that because I don't know. Like we get too ahead of ourselves. It's like, of course you don't know how to do that. You haven't done it yet. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you just got to jump and do it. Mm. And then once you're there, you'll figure it all out. You'll work it all out and you'll get amazing at it, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of us feel like we need to have all our ducks in a row to yes. go for the career that we want. And I didn't. I had no idea what I was doing. I just applied and then, you know, I came back from Europe and I didn't have a job at the time. And I was just kind of doing a little bit of part-time work here and there. But yeah, I just decided I'd go for it. And mm. I did. I went for gold and then... I got it and now I'm stoked. Yeah. Yeah. I so that's, be you're doing that full time yeah, as well full as time. Your, as well as the mental health yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> On the side when of, I yeah. can. Yeah. Yeah. You did this. I want to talk through the stickers you did as well. Tell us about those. So a couple of months after dad passed away, uh, I was driving and I wanted to do something just quite simple, you know, something that would create a message. And I know that when people go through a hard time, they might create, you know, an amazing organization, but that was a bit too much I didn't have you know the means to kind of do that so Mm. I came home and I said to mum why don't I create bumper stickers and I told her what I wanted them to say on it which is um, please don't take your life today it's okay not to be okay and I just figured by having a sticker on your car people driving if they're having a hard time because we're often driving alone right and you have music and Mm. the music might make you feel emotions that you haven't felt reflection or yeah yeah yeah. and if you're sitting in traffic for an hour especially in Auckland you think about a lot of things and if people having a bad day maybe it will make them think twice about and it is a confronting sticker I think Mm. because originally I just got the sticker for myself so I stuck it on my car and the response was pretty big on Facebook and Instagram and then I ordered 500 of them and they sold really quickly and so the money that well I put aside from those stickers I've just kind of been thinking of doing something to give back I guess to families who have been through a loved one's passing by suicide. Mm. And I don't know what that looks like yet. I did have an idea of it very early on when just I saw the stickers. Time, you know, yeah. Just like your idea that you have for your stickers. Yeah. You had that idea that just came to you one day, yeah. right? It'll come to you. You work yeah, it out. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, that money I know will be used for good. You know, yeah. if we can go into work and be comfortable saying to our bosses, hey, you know, I've had a really tough night last night. I'm feeling a bit of anxiety. You know, I've got a lot of projects. Is there anything that you can help me with? Can we sit down and chat? you know, with Mm. what will make me feel better about the day or going to see your school teacher. Like I was lucky I had a really, really good school teacher at the end of high school who was an absolute champion for me. And she knew that things weren't that great back home with dad and he was struggling and she was my rock. Like I used to love going to her classes. So just having like a champion or a mentor that you feel comfortable with Mm. is really important. And I think bosses and, you know, I guess anyone in really a leadership role should open up the conversation and make it known to people Mm. if they are, you know, I guess mentoring a team, that it is okay for them to come to them if they're struggling with anything. Mm. 
you've given us a lot of advice through your own story, but if there's someone who's maybe going through something similar to you or they've got their own grief going on, what would be your advice to them? What what message would you like to share with them? Well, everyone's different. And for me, the main message I try, if someone messages me and they want some advice, I try and, you know, say, is there someone close to you that you feel comfortable speaking with and having them as like a point of call? If you really get low and you feel like you need some support and feeling comfortable enough asking them if they can be that person of support for you um, and just having that conversation with them and also understanding what you need in order to better your emotions when you get them. Like if I'm angry, I don't want to go for a workout. I don't want to go for a walk down the road because I, I don't know, I don't like listening to my thoughts that I have. So I just watch Netflix. Mm. But if I'm sad, I'll have, I don't know, I'll put on a face mask and then I'll you know, watch a movie or something like that. So there's different tools that I use to better myself in the way that I'm feeling. And that's taken a few years to get a grip of and understand. But now that I know um, what makes me feel better at different times has made such a difference. So I guess even like journaling saying today, I felt like I had lots of anxiety. Mm. The thing that might've triggered it was, and this is what made me feel better. And what can I do next time to, you know, help this? So Mm. you've seamlessly brought me to another question, which I always (laughs) ask, which is about self-care. And you've talked us through just then the ways that you do look after yourself Mm. Has self-care been, you know, like we all know how important it is, but I think especially for you going through what you have mm. and and now moving forward in your life, what does self-care like mean to you? Like that must help you so much. Heaps, yeah. And it differs obviously every day um, because I'm on shift work as well. Like I make sure that I get enough sleep. Milo, um, my Labrador, so he and I, I go you're on be like, oh, yum, yum, Milo. I'll be like, I love it, yum, Milo. I yummy. love a good Milo and a cheese toasty <laughs> on a bad day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Milo has been so good. Like he is just one of my best mates. You know, we go out for walks all the time and he makes me so happy. So he, and he's also really cute, which is an added Aww. bonus. And um, he's like a little dude. So dad and I um, said yes to getting him. We surprised mum, you know, a few years before he passed away. So Milo's really special part of the family and he makes us all, yeah, happy to be around him. And he like brightens our day as well. Mm. So that's good self-care, taking him for a walk and making good food. So Sam and I love cooking together. Yeah. And Sam also picks up on when I'm feeling down and we'll go for Yeah, we'll go for what walks. What a good boy he is. He we, is, we, yeah. He can, he can stay on. We like him, don't we? <laughs> Sam's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, we'll keep him. Um, so <laughs> I think self-care now, since what you've gone through with your dad, is probably something you've learned even more so in terms of how did you come up with those things, like you say, in your toolkit? A lot of us are really busy. And for me, I guess it's saying no in order to put time aside to mm. understand what you need to feel better. So that's a big thing because if we're busy and we say that we want to do self-care, well, what does that look like? Does it mean laying on the couch for five minutes, listening to music? That can be massive self-care for someone who has a really busy schedule or has kids. I know mums don't get a lot of downtime and any mum who's listening, you're amazing. But yeah, just to take some some time and just say no to things if it's going to overwhelm you. And not feel, I I think you and I, we've had to learn how to not feel bad about that because we do want to help people. And it's like, there's a boundary. Like we Mm. talked before we started recording that at times, like you get a lot of really intense messages come through. And I used to find it, I used to always like want to help everyone. And I do, but like, I can't reply. And I used to feel bad if I wasn't replying to everyone then and there, but it's Mm. like, you can't because you'll just burn yourself out. So you have to learn to like still help people but have boundaries in place in a way you know so it's and that's hard you don't want to let people down but then it's like you know what I mean yeah 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 I try and create boundaries for that as well and it's it is really hard at times because I do get a lot of tough messages but I try and go from the point as if I was their really good friend and I'm just giving them as advice as what I would my one of my other friends so Mm. I don't try and come off as if I'm a professional because I'm not no. and I don't have the tools. And that I'm puts just, a lot of pressure on yeah. you too if you're getting, especially I know from other friends who work in the mental health space that they end up getting messages from people who are really, you know, they're in a very vulnerable spot and they're reaching out and, you know, they might be suicidal and that's a big responsibility to then place on you. It's great that they can reach out and they feel that they can. Mm. Yeah, but it can 1737, right? Yeah, 1737. We can say that here now. You can yes. free text and yeah. call anytime yeah. in New Zealand. And I'll um, make sure I reference, I've done this for previous episodes when we talk about these topics, I'll put uh, a list of numbers in different countries too because we do have listeners all over the world. So I'll put all the websites and numbers you need. Now, you've talked us through your self-care. You've talked us through so much, Georgie. What is some advice you would give to your younger self? Don't overthink it. 
anything in life because I think that everything happens for a reason and I really truly believe that and I say that to myself every day and I don't overthink anything anymore. It's just made everything so much more, I guess, natural and I can enjoy a lot more in life and I say it to my younger sister. You know, she comes to me for advice and I say, don't overthink it. It will all fall into place if it mm. needs to. You, all you can do is work hard mm. and do what you can with the time you have. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's the thing people in, you know, that like you can understand. You've had situations, and I know this through interviewing people who have gone through traumatic experiences. You've been given in a strange way that gift of perspective and what life really means and Mm. so because you've been through that you probably know that like life is precious and not to sweat the small stuff Mm. Mm. and a lot of people reach out to me and they say you know their friends struggling and they feel really responsible for keeping them around and I know that's really a hard thing to talk about but all you can really do is just be there and stand along beside them I know we can burn ourselves out by trying to help our friends as much as we can but just don't forget to take care of you and just be kind like to yourself and others because smile can go a long way yeah you know yeah anyone well even through your advice you give to your younger self you've then given us a lot of advice for ourselves (laughs) as well but if there are people listening that want to you know do the great things like you're doing and 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 like you say you've learned to push past that fear that you used to have and self-doubt that you couldn't do the things that you now are doing yeah what would you tell them just go for it. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Talk to your friends and family. If you have like a worry about something that you're going to go forward with, get their opinion on it. And if it's something that you've been wanting to do, just go for it. You don't know until you try, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing today, Georgie. I This is one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. I'm oh, going to say that. You. Like, you're a really incredible person. <laughs> thank you. Um, and thank you so much for sharing with, this is very brave of you to do this. You're welcome. I know thank it feels you. like normal, you know, you, you're, you're a humble person, but we really appreciate you sharing this. Yes. And I know people are going to gain so much. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Self Love Club podcast. Please subscribe for weekly episodes and catch up on the backlog of eps you may have missed. Until the next episode, make sure you're following the Self Love Club at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram for daily content, IGTV clips of interviews, and you can find me at Belle Crawford. Plus, find resources and articles on my website, bellcrawford.com, with a new recommendations page with my book club, all of the good shows to watch. And also, you can actually listen to all of the podcast interviews ever on the Self Love Club on the podcast page. We've got heaps of incredible guests coming up with weekly episodes available each Monday. I'll catch you really soon. Ellie the most, okay? Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.